Hello everyone, welcome to the Local Terrain Podcast. I'm Andrew, and right now I'm sat across from Andrea Rischjord. Hey. Uh, she is my partner. <laughs> and yes. she's just going to keep me company during this first podcast episode. And today we're going to be going over the seven different types or the seven different tropes you see in environmentalists. Now, if this is the first podcast you're listening to, I highly advise you to press pause and then <laughs> go to the most recent episode that's uploaded. However, it'll, it'll probably be better. Yeah, but if there's only one episode and it happens to be this one, I guess you can keep on listening. Just have, have faith that it will get better <laughs> yeah have faith and just know we're we're winging it we're winging it right now actually i don't know if i should tell the audience that transparency is good okay transparency be like you're being honest a window. you're being genuine you're being vulnerable all things that all people should be i in my opinion yeah so we'll probably grow with this podcast and we'll probably develop better uh public speaking skills while we're at it and maybe not just overshare all the time. So getting down to business, whenever I go out into like a nature park or whenever I go to the co-op, and I definitely experience this in like my environmental science classes, that there's definitely stereotypes in the type of people you come across. Mm-hmm. Would you say the same? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. You get that kind of trope in like every discipline, every field. I think. Yeah. yeah. But in just like people, society and people in general, because I think that people want to fit in. And so finding other people that have similar interests than you, you just kind of copy what they do. Not like, I mean, we're sheeple. Let's just admit it. But we are sheeple. I think that we all have this like desperate inner desire to be accepted. And one way that we do that is to put ourselves into a like a stereotypical a category, category. Yeah. yeah, into a herd. Well, we herd I, ourselves. Yeah, oh, that's dark. Well, I would say that in with environmentalism uh, gaining traction and like finally getting popular media attention, we're seeing a lot of people that aren't necessarily well versed in like the science or the history of environmentalism. And they oftentimes also fall into their own stereotypes, whether it be, as we'll get into later, like a whole food warrior or the classic like granola hippie. Crunchy granola. Yeah. Oh, sometimes they're real crunchy. Yeah. yeah I got yeah. called crunchy granola oh, in a loving way. I would, I would say you've evolved away from the granola hippie, but I could definitely see you were a granola hippie at one point. We... We'll I'll, get into I'll it. show some tidbits we'll, of my past a little later once we talk about these yeah, we'll, categories. We'll get into it. But uh, for you listeners, when we're going through these seven different types or tropes of environmentalist, keep in mind, nobody fits perfectly into any one box. You could be all of them at one point in your life. You could be two of them for eternity. Or you might actually fit so perfectly into one category of like the environmentalist tropes that you just got to own it at that point right like yeah you got I, I think it's a constantly moving ever-changing venn diagram yeah this is just a temporary dial to get us all on board at like where we are in our environmentalist journey and like make sure we're keeping tabs on ourselves and i don't know 
Yeah. I would also say that all of these categories have both good and bad yeah. parts to them. So it's kind of like, it's more about recognizing yourself and like what maybe you could be doing better if you are really passionate about the environment, which yeah. I'm assuming you are if you're in one of these categories, noticing things about yourself that maybe you could improve upon. Yeah. So like, like you said, things you could you can improve upon and also probably what are your strengths right now as an environmentalist mm -hmm. or mean, just as like have, a nature lover in general yeah we all have our own focuses and we've all gone through different life paths so our eyes are going to be set on a different prize to each other anyways i i think for each trope we'll probably go over the strengths of that trope the weaknesses of people in that trope and then I, I think it's kind of fun to just like imagine what these types of uh, characters would be like wearing. <laughs> like what you would expect to see them wearing at like a, a conference or something. Yeah, let's just dive in. Yeah. We'll yeah, characterize yeah. them. And I also guess. keep everyone keep in mind this is just for fun. Like don't take this too seriously. It's also supposed to be lighthearted. And I hope no one gets hurt feelings from this. If you get butt hurt from some of this, then that might be on you. <laughs> I think these are more of social observations. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if it hurts to hear some of this, then maybe, maybe it should you hurt a little bit. Yeah, pay attention to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just keep an eye Examine on it. Examine that keep an eye on pain. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask yourself, why is that painful? Yeah, go to a doctor. <laughs> okay, so I would say the first number one trope uh, is it's got to be the academic. Mm. Now, the academic environmentalist they have developed their mindset and their perspective on the environment through either college, university, or they have professional experience in some field that's related to the environment. But I would say the, the primary thing to notice with the academic is that they definitely pay attention to the institutions doing all of the research right now. And these are going to be the people that are reading the papers they're reading the journals and they know they know the mechanics of the climate and the environment like the back of their hand mm -hmm. i also envision these people the ones that when they read like low tier news articles about the environment that get facts wrong they're like well actually it's this yeah 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 these are the people that call out all the false information. They're the well actuallyers of the environmental world. Or one of, maybe. Yes. But they're also the ones to call out the conspiracy theorists. Because they're mm -hmm. the ones that actually have the ammo to take down something like a conspiracy theorist. Because they say things... I, obviously, I know so much about environmentalism. <laughs> but they are the ones, in my mind, who call those things out because they're like, actually, that's not how that works at all that's not how any of this works <laughs> yeah and i would also say okay so i'd say the academic environmentalist those are your professors those are your college students especially i always think of this as like either really fresh college students yeah or like the college student that takes extra courses yeah yeah yeah, yeah. not necessarily like I feel like you get like senioritis. Yeah. But at the same time, like someone who's done it long enough and they're passionate enough about it that they're like the one to go yeah. to. 
I would also put in this category the master naturalists. Mm -hmm. So the people that didn't necessarily do the traditional academic route, but still are well-read. And even like the the environmentalists that get all of their knowledge and their perspective on environmentalism through reading literature, through reading books. You don't uh, have to go to university to be in the academic category for this. Definitely not. there's a lot of people who are self-taught who fall into this category. And I think the issue right now with the academic environmentalist trope is that it's dominated by the college academic yeah and there's there's just not enough master naturalists and uh self-taught naturalists that are getting their voice out within the academic community and i think part of that is just this bias that we have about the importance of having a college degree yeah and like all of the like oomph that comes from or a social oomph i guess that comes from having gone to a college or a university or whatever and in the end it's kind of like yeah there are a lot of value i have a lot of complicated feelings about the world of academia (laughs) but i think that there's there's a lot of things to be said for going to university but there's a lot of things to be said for learning it via experience and learning it from yeah reading books on your own like you don't have to spend thousands of dollars and take courses from this one specific person in order to like have that knowledge and that's that's interesting coming from like a thoroughbred academic Ugh. you're like a pure you're like a pure blood you're like the draco malfoy of academia <laughs> it's like if draco malfoy was placed as a gryffindor yeah. that would be you when and it comes had, to academia like, more hmm, maybe a more active conscience I, I, I think Balfoy did have... This is not a Harry Potter podcast. We cannot <laughs> Don't make this. it into a Harry Potter yeah. podcast. Now, I would say the strengths of the academic environmentalist is obvious. They have the knowledge and they have the understanding of what environmentalism and like what the climate is going through right now better than just about anybody. Mm-hmm. Or this might be a downfall. They think they do. Because I think that's one downfall of the academic is that they have so much knowledge that then they think that they have more knowledge than they do. I think and I that's think an issue. That is just like the yin yang of any strength. It always has its weakness to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I would say the real weakness of the academic environmentalist, at least the majority of them, mm-hmm. is that their perspective on environmentalism and climate change is not focused on the social component of it or the intersectionality of climate change, but more focused on the scientific nature, the philosophy of it. So a lot of their humanitarian effort is sort of lost within the papers and the journals. And all they see at that point is numbers. It almost becomes a little bit too like nihilist per se. Yeah, I think that I'm peeking at your notes here and I'm seeing generally white-centric and apolitical. And I think that is kind of really important to say in relation to your comment because I think that a lot of people who are academic or fall into the academic trope of environmentalists kind of want to be like the Switzerland of 
like yeah. the world Level-headed. where they're like we have to look at this rationally yeah and which like i approve of being rational is good and but the problem with that is that they they only look at one side of the 20-sided dice of the environmental yep. issue which is the math and the numbers and we need to make sure that we're changing like the way that we do things they don't yeah sometimes they touch on like we need to change policy or we need to change regulation and i think those things fall into the political sphere a little bit but one thing that they don't generally comment on is like racial issues yeah 100 percent. and i think that primarily is because of just the whiteness of academia right now yeah however there are climate justice professors out there there mm-hmm. are climate justice lawyers that are doing amazing groundwork when it comes to climate justice. Yeah, 100%. I think we should do um, an episode yeah, on that. 100%. Now, the academic environmentalist, I would say if we were going to like a convention or something, they're mm-hmm. probably wearing either cargo shorts or khaki pants. And potentially pants that zip off into shorts, but oh, like yeah. are a good quality one, so you can't tell right away. That's the final boss academic environmentalist. <laughs> they're they're the nice one. They're ones that you get at like REI L. L. or something, Bean. and LL Bean. No, no, not LL Bean. Like REI or Patagogi or whatever, and they they're the nice expensive ones so that they're the ones they're wearing to their conference and not out in the field but there's the same yeah, utility yeah, yeah, of yeah, clothing yeah. and they're like a athletic material so you can just or wash like out any stains borderline athletic material yeah. i'm thinking like carhartt-esque yeah potential now i would say famous academic environmentalists probably greta thunberg mm. uh carl sagan neil degrasse tyson Pretty much any fame. Oh, Bill Nye, the science guy. Huh. I practically any famous scientist is gonna be aware of climate change and well, I feel like an environmentalist. The other thing is, are there famous scientists? Okay, I have to say, I'm not really educated on like specific people, so I don't want to say something that's gonna bite me in the ass later. But I think that I can't think of in my very small pool of knowledge any famous scientists that are not linked to academia you know i'm gonna have to get back to you on that one. <laughs> i don't know either because i i think that's something to make that should make you go huh yeah like it, are there famous scientists who aren't linked to a university yeah or like are there any out there that are famous scientists that are self-taught i know there are self-taught naturalists out there yeah so, and those, I think, might fall into the academic category. So maybe I am contradicting myself the more I talk. I'm talking myself into a hole. Let's move I, on. I th- we'll cut that out. <laughs> we cut nothing. Ac- yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so also I would expect an academic environmentalist to probably drive like an early generation Prius. Or a new Subaru. Ooh, yeah, I could see them. Yeah, yeah, new Subaru or an old Prius. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the next trope we is... We have seven of these, and we got to speed this shit up. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the next trope has got to be the whole food warrior. Now, 
I, I gotta say, I, I love the Whole Food Warrior because they're so easy to point out. They're so oblivious to the world around them that the solution to climate change and environmentalism is as easy as just buying it. You can just, with enough purchasing power, you can save the world. Now, the Whole Food Warrior, those are the people that they buy solely organic food, the non-GMO, all those fun labels. Probably often gluten-free and dairy-free. Oh yeah, they're gluten-free for sure. And they don't really know the science behind all of these labels. And they don't really know the, the political components to it. They just know that organic good, non-organic bad. And they they also still believe in like recycling can save the world. And I, I agree. It's an important component to being environmentally aware and it's environmentally a step active. on the staircase. Yeah. But that's like brushing your teeth. You, you yeah. shouldn't get a gold star for brushing your teeth. I mean... Sometimes it's nice. <laughs> okay, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's nice. Sometimes you need a little nice. reminder to be like, oh yeah, I should do that. Yeah. But what you shouldn't get a gold star for is thinking you're saving the world just by buying organic. I, okay, so I very laterally knew this person um, who worked on a farm in Minnesota at one point. Yeah. And it was an organic farm. And one thing that they said that kind of stuck with me is that you can spray a lot of stuff and still call it organic certainly i mean organic farming at the mass production level is still using pesticides they're still using fertilizers that can get into the waterways yeah i would say the whole food warrior is probably the polar opposite to the academic environmentalist because the academic environmentalist understands the importance of things like uh, non-GMO because we need GMO agriculture and produce in order to feed the world. Yeah. There's not enough or organ there's not enough topsoil on the earth's surface to feed the entire world using organic agricultural methods. Do you want to just like review quickly what GMO means and what's the significance of that and why why is non-GMO not actually the greatest thing? Well, I think just explaining the difference between non-GMO, organic, and whole food, I think all of that is an entire episode worth of information sure. to discuss. Do you want to give us like and a that's, seedling of what GMO means? But the fact that it's so complex is probably why the whole food warrior needs to do a little bit more reading. Mm. Yeah. This is the like... I'm envisioning probably like a suburban mom. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like the person that I feel like I see at the co-op all the time. Suburban parent. Suburban parent. Yeah, yeah, Men are just as capable of being... For sure. I just feel like maybe it's just my Instagram feed is (laughs) primarily women. Um, But I think that, yeah. Sun-kissed. Suburban parent... Of various ages. Yeah. Definitely definitely got that nice light tan. They got that bleached hair. Sun bleached. Uh, probably drive like a minivan. Or some other sort of SUV. Small SUV. Maybe. And I would also say, okay, the, the Whole Food Warrior. Now, their strength is that they they have a lot of heart in this game. 
because they're they're so willing to change their buying habits and their consumption to accommodate for what the at least the mass media is telling them is better for the earth i would also say that i think the whole food warrior is a type of person who will go to local farmers markets 100 percent, and buy metal straws yeah. instead of just stopping using straws oh yeah see the whole food warrior they're also big trendsetters yeah i would say the whole food warriors those are probably the environmentalists that have like a lot of clout and they're your Instagram influencers that are pushing like climate change they shop activism. Shop at Tear. Yeah, yeah. Now, another strength of the Whole Food Warrior is just how much influence they have. They yeah. they can influence other people to change their habits. Yeah. Now, the opposite side of that, their weakness is that they don't have a whole lot of like knowledge on the background and the mechanics behind climate change to make uh like a a well-established opinion and to bring this information to a place where we can start making significant change yeah i I just wanted to remind people that this is a venn diagram so we're not saying that all whole food warriors are not educated certainly not like other issues but I think that when I think of this stereotype, that's the thing is we're talking about stereotypes yeah. here. So when I think of this stereotype, I think about the kind of person who is like, yeah, I really care about the environment and I enjoy having yummy food. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to buy the food that might be a little bit more expensive, but it makes me feel better to buy it. But then their lifestyle doesn't really incorporate environmentalism in any other way yeah they just don't think about it i would say if you are if you do think you are a whole food warrior (laughs) make sure that you're taking some time to read some articles and some journals that have been like peer-reviewed and share both sides of the opinion don't just read the articles that are on the new york times don't just read what is given to you by these corporations Mm-hmm. Because I would say another weakness of the Whole Food Warrior is they buy into the advertising and the marketing behind organic a little too quickly. Yeah. I feel like one thing that we've seen over the past few years, especially, is this like green fad. And like, it's a good fad because it means that people yeah, are starting. Yeah, to a limit, though. Yeah. It means that people are starting to care a little bit more about the like the way that they consume things. But I also think that that fad at the same time is people being obsessed with avocados. Don't get me wrong. Avocados are delicious, but they're not the most sustainable thing to be eating all the time. True. But I also think at, at, at some point, just about any action is going to have a negative impact on oh, the sure. climate. So it's about opening up a dialogue, opening up a conversation about what sacrifices in our daily comforts are we willing to take so and then we can enjoy things like avocados. I yeah. think if if you give up and you surrender meat in your diet, you should feel more than comfortable eating an avocado because mm-hmm. that that impact that you've taken away by eating meat, not eating meat, you, you have allowed yourself the the space to have 
a delicious avocado and get those yummy, yummy those fats. fats. Okay, so moving on to the next trope. I, I got to say, I do love the Whole Food Warrior. I think they would make like a great cartoon yeah. character or something. <laughs> I, one last comment on the Whole Food Warrior thing. I think that if you think you're a Whole Food Warrior and you're worried about it, if you aren't already trying to be conscious and aware of what fruits and vegetables are seasonal and purchasing seasonal things and trying to purchase seasonal things from close to you. Like if I'm going to go to the co-op do to do, and I see that there's this fruit or vegetable that I could purchase that's from Mexico or I could purchase the one that's from Wisconsin. Yeah. I kind of... So essentially, yeah. if you are a whole food warrior, maybe the best solution is become the the strongest whole food warrior. <laughs> or just like up your game in terms of like, if, if you, if the best way that you can, uh, not everyone can do everything and that's 100% okay. If you think that the, the, you're the best way that you can help impact the environment is to change your spending habits, sweet. Yeah. Let's hone in on that and see how you can level up. Yeah, I think uh, there is a caveat, though, because the Whole Food Warrior isn't necessarily going to reach that top level and like max out their health until we start deconstructing consumerism and capitalism fundamentally yeah that's a whole so, can of worms that yeah I don't... it's it's at this point being a whole food warrior is kind of just putting band-aids on the on the issue yeah and it's not quite doing enough change that's no necessary. I, I totally agree i think it's andrew it's a venn diagram yeah but their, their heart's in the right place mm-hmm. their heart is in the right place right next to those avocados oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> a nice fatty heart <laughs> hey they're good fats they'll be delicious when it all result, results in cannibalism. Once we start eating other humans, I'm going straight to the Whole Food Warriors because they're going to be delicious. Okay, the next trope. Again, I just got to say, my favorite has got to be the Whole Food Warrior. However, this next trope is also a lot of fun. The granola hippie. Now, I would say the granola hippie is probably one of the oldest environmentalist tropes. They're sort of like a uh, a niche or a break off from the traditional like 60s hippie that was all about like world peace and whatnot. Now the granola hippie, they're all about like the spirituality, the the nature, the beauty in the natural form. I feel I get like new age vibes. Oh yeah. From this. Strong new age vibes. I would say a lot of granola hippies probably do also invest a lot of time into that like new age concept of religion where there's openness there's like freedom of 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 thought and probably a little bit of experimenting with drugs (laughs) out in like a camping site or something but the granola hippie at their foundation is just a barefoot long-haired just like stallion of environmentalism (laughs) I, I think Bare hooved. Yeah, the granola hippie is definitely the most iconic environmentalist trope. Yeah. They're they're they, they gotta be the most stylish of all the environmentalist tropes. 
probably i mean i don't know what the other ones are yeah <laughs> but um i think the granola hippie is definitely the kind of person who doesn't categorize or characterize i should say themselves as being religious they characterize themselves as being spiritual yeah again none of these are bad things but it's just an observation that i've made that's something that i've said before yeah and i i also think they have the granola hippie has a really important role in the like community of environmentalists mm -hmm. because i feel like a lot of say the academic environmentalists lose sight of that spiritual and like more like metaphysical component to mm -hmm. to nature and observing the outdoors or they can yeah yeah they, they, they certainly can and i think keeping that spiritual part of environmentalism alive can definitely help maintain the the humanity aspect of environmentalism and yeah. keep us grounded in understanding that at the end of the day we got to do this to help out each other yeah i think um the one thing i would say about the granola hippie is that they sometimes some of them or okay often some granola hippies can tread into the realm of appropriation yeah which is a major issue so let's get into their strengths and weaknesses well that's a weakness my friend. i would definitely say the weakness of the granola hippie is they're a little too gung-ho on the like the aestheticism of environmentalism mm -hmm. and this desire for nature being the the ultimate aesthetic because what, when we start getting into this, we start looking at other cultures around the world and we start looking at communities that might be a little bit more connected to nature than what the Western culture that we all live in right now. Mm -hmm. And we might start looking at how people in these communities dress and start thinking, hey, you know what? I want to get as close to nature as they as they are. So I'm going to start dressing like them. I'm going yeah. to give myself a name that's like their name. And that's tiptoeing into danger zone. Yeah, you you're already way too far yeah, if you're changing if you're your name. If you're doing that, you're in danger zone deep. Yeah. And you gotta turn that shit around. For sure. I mean I, I know some people that they look at like Polynesian culture, Pacific culture, my culture. Yeah. And they see that we're they they think we're these people that are so connected to the ocean and the sea and when they go on these snorkeling tours with sea turtles they like come back as like a new person and i even know one woman she literally changed her last name to makai which is hawaiian for from the sea and it's like mm. girl you're from the midwest you ain't from no you ain't from no sea you're from the um, midwest ancient ancient sea very <laughs> ancient long before they existed but there's also a lot of Pacific Islanders that don't live anywhere near the ocean and are entirely disconnected from the sea, but that doesn't take away from their connection and their connectivity to Pacific Island culture. Yeah. 
because at the end of the day it's not about the environment the reason why these cultures and these communities are so connected to nature isn't because of their surroundings just about anywhere you go in the world the environment's going to be beautiful but it's because of the people themselves and the values that those people have yeah i think that if you think that maybe you're you've tiptoed too far into danger zone that you should maybe consider first of all figure out what appropriation is yeah and examine that for a little bit and then second of all think about why you idolize that culture so much what is it about that that culture or that style or that whatever it may be attracts you so much and then kind of unpack that a little bit is it that you admire just like the appreciation for nature do you admire the closeness to nature like what what is it about it that you like and then maybe try to do that in your own life without appropriating from that culture is it a feeling that you get is it like a viewpoint because i think that those types of things don't necessarily have to be tied to a culture you can reinterpret them in a way that is appropriate for you to also practice or appreciate now to speed things up here because <laughs> we're yeah. taking a while on we these took jokes a long time. i would say the strength of the granola hippie is probably their connectivity to their spiritual side mm-hmm. i would say the granola hippie is certainly the one of the most spiritual they're driven tropes. by emotion yeah 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 and probably well connected to their emotions possibly a pisces i get pisces vibes from this yeah or aquarius Mm. yeah yeah. and i would say the granola hippie probably wearing hemp cotton wool birkenstocks birkenstocks or or nothing no no burks or nothing they ain't wearing okay okay I, i feel that yeah and or they made their own shoes. Ooh. Maybe maybe that's like final boss granola hippie <laughs> made their own shoes. That's the top, the top tier. Yeah. Okay, so the next trope. Uh, not a big fan of this trope. But they do have their place and they are important to the diaspora. The aspects of them are important. Yeah. And this is the eco-capitalist. Mm, that now, just like doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah, anything that has the word capitalist in it it's like lots of little red flags flapping yeah. up now the eco-capitalist they're the person that when they look in environmentalism there's always this like little voice in the back of their head that's telling them hold up a minute how how can our economy still thrive with all of these shifts in culture they've always sort of got their sights on profit and they'll always strongly advocate for consumerist resolutions such as building aquaponics or solar panels, geothermal heating. I'd probably say a lot of eco-capitalists are responsible for the trends we see in organic food and non-GMO food. And I think a lot of eco-capitalists probably see someone like Elon Musk as a climate role model. Mm. 
But when we unpack Elon Musk, he's, he's terrible for the environment. Very problematic. Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, this guy made an electric car that's got cultural revel- relevance, but at the same time, he blasted it off into space. Like, <laughs> come on, how much fuel is that? Is Are we really saving the world? He's just creating more space junk. Yeah, from oil consumption by blasting an electric car into space. I'm very curious on the numbers for how much like how much oil does a car use in its lifetime versus how much it does it take to blast that said car into space there's plenty of papers written on that and uh we'll even put those in the show notes so all of you can look at the comparison i think an eco-capitalist is also a fan of the metal straw oh they're oh yeah they're also really invested in the tupperware yeah the, the tupperware and like the branding yeah. And like how the metal straw shifted like the stock market or something. Mm-hmm. They also manufacture teeny tiny um, pipe cleaners to clean your metal straw. <laughs> I would also say the eco-capitalist is paying real close attention to like oil barrel prices. They're probably looking at the predicted dates for things like peak phosphorus and the strengths the i i do think the eco-capitalist has some importance in the in the the realm of environmentalism Mm -hmm. because they're probably keeping the closest tabs on what our finite resources are on earth and like they probably have the best perspective or scope on just how far away we are or how close how far away we are from reaching an environmentally sustainable economy. Mm -hmm. I think that um, the benefit of the eco-capitalist is that we live in a capitalist society, and so change is going to kind of have to happen via consumerism. Yeah, And I think that the eco-capitalist kind of likes to walk hand in hand with the academic a lot of the time certainly i think they help each other out for Mm -hmm. sure they and kind of inform each other sometimes yeah now the weakness of the eco-capitalist is probably pretty obvious and it's that their their identity in environmentalism is still seated in consumerism and it's still seated in consumption of resources yeah i mean electric cars solar panels those are great alternatives to what we already have however they can't be the final solution because there's still a lot of big problems with them. And I've never like looked into this before, but how much energy does it take to produce those things? Oh, a lot. And it, there's yeah. also a lot of uh, rare earth metals that go into those things. Ooh, that's, and that's bad news. Bears. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of like global economic issues with that. Like cheap labor in uh, developing nations is being abused for things like that yeah now i would expect to see an eco-capitalist also wearing khakis like the academic environmentalist but they're wearing the types of khakis that are like no press khakis like they always look like they're super like straight and like Like no wrinkles Yeah. yeah 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 like not pleated but they could be pleated they could be pleated but you don't know but they definitely look like they're really clean Mm. loafers just polo polo yeah i could see a polo or like a a hoodie maybe like a tesla t-shirt mm. 
Tesla. Tesla. Okay, so moving on to the next trope. we Actually, before the next trope, should we have a little break? Yeah, okay, so uh, we'll both be back in just a few minutes. Uh, since this is episode one, we clearly don't have a sponsor, so it'll just be a few words from myself promoting like the the different platforms and whatnot for local terrain. Hello, our dear listeners. Just want to say thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Local Terrain Podcast. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing on the waves, then please feel free to follow us at our website, which is just localterrain.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram, which is at local-terrain. So thank you. Okay, welcome back, everyone. So let's just recap on all the different types of tropes that we've already gone over. So our first one was the academic environmentalist. Mm-hmm. They're the khaki wearing professors. We've got the whole food warriors. Those are like your uh, your Karens buying Karens the buying hemp, organic hemp twine hemp grocery twine. bags and metal straws. Yeah, yeah. We have the granola hippies, which are like the uh, free spirit man. <laughs> Using dream catchers and not realizing how appropriative that is. Yeah. And then the last one we went over was the eco-capitalist, which are like the Elon Musk fanboys who think that technology is going to save us all. Very problematic, but yes. Yeah, certainly. Okay, so moving on to the next one. This is probably the most common type of environmentalist that you come across. I think you see these people just about everywhere, especially in a state like Minnesota where people have some sort of like, um, they, they put the outdoors on a high pedestal in Minnesota. And this trope is the hiker. Mm. I Now, I think the hiker is a good name for them because it's... Uh, just about every outdoor enthusiast, no matter what their main hobby is, whether it be rock climbing, bouldering, kayaking, they all also like to hike. I feel like you got to hike out to the place, you got to hike back. Mm. Hiking is like that hobby that unites them all. I feel like one interesting thing about hiking for me, being someone who grew up hiking a lot, is that it's kind of like meditation. It is, yeah. At least you have to get into a meditative state to do it. Yeah. It Me- reminds me a lot of like hiking out to a location to do an activity. And yeah. like it's part of the process. It's part of the experience. Yeah. It reminds me of pilgrimages. Yeah. Where like the pilgrimage to the holy location is part of the experience. I know this is way <laughs> off the wall. I am an art history major. I know a lot about weird stuff about churches. That's all I got to say. Okay, so the, the hiker, I would say what makes them an environmentalist is they just like to be outside. Mm-hmm. Like to be out in nature. They like to get their feet wet. They like to sleep in a tent. And I would probably also say a lot of the hiker stereotypes have also probably carved a wooden spoon at some point. Hmm. 
Uh, I'd probably say they also wear hiking boots in the city. Yeah, I guess it depends on what your job is. Yeah, but for the most part, hiking boots are like such an unnecessary weight to just add to your daily life. For sure. If it's not like part of like something that would make sense for your profession. Right. Then, yeah. But if you're spending most of your day in a classroom or a studio or... Yeah, why are you wearing hiking boots? You don't need hiking boots. Just wear sandals. Something breathable. Keds or something. I don't know. And I'd also say the hiker, they're probably also wearing like Patagonia. Patagucci. Patagucci or like some like hand-me-down climbing gear from their parents. That's that's one thing that's that I find with the hiker trope is either they have clothing that costs them nothing. Yeah. Or they have clothing that is like ridiculously Hundreds. expensive for what it actually is. Yeah. I agree. It's a it's a weird like the leisure dichotomy. section of REI in Patagonia where it's not mm-hmm. technical wear, it's like camping yeah. dresses. But that is and stuff now like their that. aesthetic. Yeah. So the the strengths and the weaknesses of the hiker. I would say the strength of the hiker is that they since they spend so much time outside and outdoors, they do have like a good understanding of the value of the outdoors like Mm -hmm. they they understand just how fragile it is they understand how important it is to protect uh the outdoors and 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 wildlife and i think the more well-versed a hiker is in their surroundings the better they're equipped to also inform people around them and also like inform their online followers I know people in this trope that also like carry sporks with them. <laughs> yeah. And anywhere. like stuff like that. Yeah. Or they've always got a now nal- they've got like Nalgene or thirty two plus ounce water bottles that they carry everywhere. They're just like super hydrated. Yeah. Now I feel like the weakness of the hiker is probably that because they love this uh this vision of the outdoors that they have fixed in their head they usually also carry the assumption that when you're in the city you're not in the outdoors or that you're not appreciating the outdoors if you're physically in a city yeah and they also neglect to understand the relationship between people that live their entire lives in the city and how they also have a, a right to the outdoors and to nature even though they don't don't have the opportunities to take advantage of the outdoors yeah i think one thing that um people in the hiker trope category can sometimes lose sight of is that i feel like a lot of them are obsessed with like national parks yeah or like state parks and they're always like yeah let's go on a road trip and like go to go to this national park or go to this cool place but i think that what they are blind to is the abundance of for some places the abundance of natural space within cities there's so many city parks that are great and you can experience just as many hours and oftentimes just as much beauty in city parks as you can by like hopping in a car and driving for 12 hours to a national park out west or something well, I, I think another big danger that comes from having this contrast between 
the wildlife, the outdoors, and like the urban landscape is you you almost forget that all of literally every action you take has an influence on the outdoors and that yeah. that wildlife that you admire. Like every time you flush a toilet, that water isn't just staying within the urban landscape. It probably eventually enters a street out somewhere yeah. and then is the same fresh water that gets recycled into your favorite canoeing spot it's the same water yeah and it's not like cities exist in airtight bubbles or anything yeah i agree and like how much of like outdoor tourism means that we're taking things that we dislike about a city to the places that we admire that are natural spaces like think about how much litter out there is in campsites yeah oh my god and so like much. you have to get there via car which means that you're using fuel using fuel and creating pollution there and like i don't know i'm not trying to say we shouldn't drive to places that are beautiful and natural spaces but it's just an interesting kind of thing that we are often blind to is that when we go to these natural places, we're also kind of destroying them at the same time. Now, I would probably say the the final issue I have with the hiker trope is, or at least not an issue that I have, but a, a point of concern, mm. is that oftentimes the hiker can lead towards being an eco-tourist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and there's a whole... There's a whole thing to unpack with tourism as a whole that's a whole nother episode on its own ecotourism yeah definitely and i think a lot of hikers just need to make sure they keep themselves in check and make sure they're asking themselves okay why do i have to go out to this this remote location why do i have to climb up this mountain why do i have to use local resources in order to accomplish this outdoor task and I, there's a lot of good reasons to do it even if it's like an internal journey that you're taking yourself and it's helping you find out something about yourself that's good and you just need to make sure you're you're keeping that at the forefront and you're not just climbing a mountain just to check it off of a list or to to show your online following that you climbed the mountain yeah that's definitely a whole nother episode because i think there's a lot of there's a lot to unpack with that yeah and i would also say the hiker probably drives like probably early to mid 2000s subaru yeah or like um a station wagon yeah definitely a station wagon they definitely have like a cargo rack on the top Maybe yeah at the very bike. least yeah, yeah yeah at least one bumper sticker yeah probably of a park either park or like a wall drug bumper sticker if they're I, if they're real i am not someone who who like grew up with an understanding of the like social importance of wall drug so people say that and it's like this mythical place that i have no idea <laughs> that's a giant porcelain jackrabbit yes yeah, i'm just like i have no context potatoes. for like what it is i know that i was taken there as a very small child because my parents are both from the midwest but yeah. i like i just don't get it well uh, that's all I have to say about the hiker. Do you have anything else to add? Anklets. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? I feel like the hiker is the kind of person who went to summer camp as a kid and made anklets. Yeah. I mean, which do they still wear these anklets? Not those anklets, but they're also the type of person that wears like 
a hemp bracelet mm. slash anklet at least at some point you yeah. know in Guilty their like 20s yeah they yeah. had a hemp jewelry phase well saying sayonara to the hemp wearing hikers <laughs> the next trope we have is the narco primitivist wow now this is probably not like a term some of you have heard however it's very descriptive of a certain type of political ideology now strictly speaking the narco primitivist is someone who wants to disestablish capitalism and tear apart the the current like social structure that we have and return everyday life to a more pr like pre capitalist community based or like tribal based um format where like pre-colonial yeah yeah pre-colonial or even before like pre-colonial where people were still like living in small like maximum of like 10 people societies and so like archaic humans yeah I would say the most diehard anarcho-primitivists are also like pre-agriculture is the mm. lifestyle that they're shooting towards. Now, whether or not that's a serious endeavor or not, I think it's still important to have these people around to like balance out that, that seesaw of like political ideologies because, mm. I mean, considering how diehard some people are about capitalism and futurism, I think it's also important to have some people out there that are like, oh, no, 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 we got to go back to like even before agriculture. Like we got to go like building an entire house out of mud bricks that yeah. you have dried in the sun. Exactly. There is a dude on YouTube who makes videos that are actually really relaxing to watch where he just sets up a camera in the woods and he just makes stuff out of whatever he has so like he will weave i don't know who this is i don't know their name or their channel but maybe we should put something in the show notes because they'll they like made an entire structure that they could sleep in yeah entirely out of like i think it's bricks that they've dried made yeah, and then out dried. Of mud. Yeah, yeah i i know who you're talking about that guy lives in australia like just outside the bush yeah and honestly I would say that guy is pretty amateur when it comes to like building structures with his own hands out in the woods. Yeah. There's these two guys that live in Thailand. They have created these like underground mansions. Yeah, I've seen those too. They're where, nuts. And they fill it with like water so they have like stream features and like separate rooms. And, and they, they make fill like piping candles. and stuff out of bamboo. Yeah. yeah. Nuts. We'll put all that stuff in the show notes those guys blow the australian dude out of the water yeah I mean, i'm just i'm remembering um an episode what do yeah. you call them? a video of the australian guy making a kiln yeah that's that was actually cool. pretty cool and then but like I'm how also, he was glazing the pots with like yeah i'm also stone. kind of a pottery nerd so <laughs> it was interesting to me so back to the anarcho primitivists i would also clump in this trope just about all of the progressive-minded environmentalists who want to restructure and like 
destruct capitalism and that they have a, like a full understanding that protecting the earth cannot coincide with capitalism mm -hmm. and making profit and i i wouldn't say they're all anarcho-primitivists in the political sense but they fit in into this trope of yeah. people that want to like go back to something that's or not go back to something but create something that's more ideological like making a barter system yeah instead of to replace capitalism and I would say the anarcho-primitivist is the polar opposite to the eco-capitalist yeah. in the, the world of environmentalists. Yeah. I would also say that the, the what is it called again? Anarcho-primitivist. Anarcho I need to like read it. Um, can work hand in hand with the academic because I do think Certainly. that there's a lot of like archaeology nerds slash experimental archaeology slash anthropologists that kind of have one foot in anarcho-primitivists and one foot in the academic trope in terms of being an environmentalist. I think they kind of inform each other a little bit. Yeah, I think in order to get to a perspective where you're an anarcho-primitivist, you've kind of had to have read some books and you've I'm sure dabbled into some like Marxist theory or something. And yeah. Th this is where, where you end up mm -hmm. now for the strengths of the anarcho primitivist, I would probably say it's that they, they understand what has to ultimately happen politically. And they're probably the most like long-term thinkers mm -hmm. when it comes to environmentalists, because they're thinking long after this generation, the next generation and honestly we'll probably be living in a lifestyle like that regardless of what our like recent outcome may be mm -hmm. now as far as the weakness the, the first weakness is in the name i mean the narco primitivist i i'm not a big fan of the word primitive yeah it's it kind of has like implications of like non-white pre-colonial as if like quote-unquote uncivilized yeah as if civilization is like a, a, a white invention and then also the anarcho primi primitivist kind of or not kind of but it, it, it is ableist as well because i mean returning to a pre-technological era where everyone's having to fend for themselves and it's hunter-gatherer only there's going to be tons of people that are just left essentially to fend for themselves mm -hmm. And it's also going to neglect people that are in natural food deserts, that live in actual deserts, mm -hmm. to people that have out of circumstance and completely out of their own control, been born and raised into environments that are extremely harsh for human life. Yeah, I agree. Now, I agree. as far as what the anarcho-primitivist is wearing sandals they made sandals they made shorts shorts i would say something from like a historical costuming website <laughs> I maybe feel like, like a peasant tunic maybe i feel like when i think of an anarcho-primitivist i think of someone who either is wearing sandals that they purchased or sandals that they made but it's sandals mm -hmm. and then 
for some reason this is a male in my mind. Maybe it's because a lot of the videos that I've watched are of males. Mm. Um, with like longer shorts, like knee length shorts, and then a t shirt, but they also have a pullover. Yeah. But then they don't have anything else. So like Maybe if it's cool cold hat. Yeah. They just deal with it even though like they just put the hoodie on and they're like, It's fine. Yeah. But you don't need to be that strong and masculine. You can just You can just say you're cold and put pants on. Yeah, put put more layers on. That's probably the best survivalist tactic is just bring more clothes. Are the like end game of being prepared, in my opinion. Yeah, I I would say a a tip for the anarcho primitivists, go hang out with the hikers. Get a couple (laughs) of tips from them. Maybe. Now, as far as what they're driving, either ox or mule. I was going to (laughs) say, if they are in a city, they're probably taking the bus or they're biking. Yeah. So the steel stallion. Steel stallion. (laughs) Okay. And then moving on to our final trope. uh, I I would say these people are probably called the, the stewards. Because these are the people that um, are out there. They're on the front lines. They're carrying m- the most weight, but get the, the least like media attention. Mm-hmm. Now, these people are... Like environmental activists? Yeah, environmental activists. People that have dedicated their, their life to in- improving the earth. And not for like uh, a selfish reason and not because environmentalism is something that they were introduced to in like college or through popular media, but because it was given to them through their culture, their community and their upbringing style. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in this category, I would put a lot of like the indigenous and black environmental activists into this group Mm. since a lot of those activists are put into the position of being activists because it's the only option. Mm-hmm. I would also put environmental lawyers into this category. Mm-hmm. And I would also probably put um, like religious stewards into this category of like, I mean, literally all of the world religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, and Buddhism. They they all have strong all lessons. Of the ma- major world religions. What's that? I said all the major world religions, like the big ones. Sorry, yeah, all the major world religions have lessons and teachings about stewardship and taking care of the earth. And I th- I think there's there are a, a, a small minority of religious people that t- really take this to heart and make it like the the primary component of their faith. Mm-hmm. That makes me think of in what's that show? Chef's Table. There's the episode about a woman who's a monk in Korea. Oh my goodness, my it favorite episode. Literally, if you don't really care about food that much, still watch it. It is not even really like it's about food, but it's more about like this person's connection to the earth and it's like actually yeah. super moving and amazing and if you never want to watch chef's table just watch that episode i think it's like episode eight 
Yeah. Something oh, like that. I might just look up what her name is. Continue. No, 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 Dre, okay. don't, don't do that. For the record, don't. If you haven't already looked it up, look it up. You're too late. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it'll be in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I would also probably put non-Western farmers into this group just because farming, at least early farming, had a lot of focus put towards maintaining the, like the, the fruitfulness of of the land that you're tilling. Mm -hmm. But with contemporary farming, you, you can completely ignore the the needs and the requirements of the environment because you can just pump it full of fertilizers and artificial soils and call it a day mm-hmm. now for the strengths of this the stewards i would probably say it's that because they have uh like a community and like cultural tie to environmentalism they're gonna be the the most like head sturdy and they're not going to be scared or pushed off of track by naysayers or conservatives who just want to like ruin their day i think one thing about the stewards is that they typically are pushing for political change and policy change on like a micro level and a macro level because a lot of these people have issues that are affecting their lifestyle right now. Yeah. And so they are trying to work towards changing policy like in their county that will allow them to like have better living conditions or cleaner water or whatever. But then they also have like sites on the long game and are working towards like government policy within regions or states or like the country yeah and i i think a a reason for that strength is because a lot of the stewards are in situations where they're also the most vulnerable to climate change yeah so it's it's not just a matter of what if but when not even when it's already happening yeah like how long can you sustain your life when yeah, is already you're, yeah you're trying to tell the world hey you guys got to pay attention to this and no, everyone's calling you a liar even though you can see it with your own eyes there's so much gaslighting that happens to the, the stewards trope and then i i even think there's gaslighting from other environmentalist tropes who think they either have more time or that the issue isn't as serious as as they say it is well it's kind of like i would say that people in flint michigan who are still without clean water, clean water yeah. who are still advocating for clean water fall into the category of being a um what you call it like a steward yeah steward, because yeah. and th- it, they are being gaslit it's like this is still a problem and no one's doing anything to fix it and they were really big news right away, and then the media stopped giving them coverage. And so now everyone who doesn't live there has forgotten about it. Exactly. Yet, they're still out there fighting, 
and yeah. they still have other stewards around the world also fighting for them. Yeah, and I would say the same thing with a lot of the pipeline issues that we have. I'm yeah. not going to name one because there's literally hundreds of them. But basically any issue with pipelines and leaking and like... Or the oil industry or the mining yeah, industry as a whole. All of that. I think it's the same type of issue. Yeah, and I would say the, the, the weakness for the stewards is that a, a lot of them are coming from already disenfranchised communities. So their their voices are the least heard in popular media. Mm -hmm. And they're also the least heard in academia, even though they're probably the most important voices to be listening to when it comes to fighting for environmentalism and fighting for, for cl climate action. Yeah, I think also they are oftentimes the ones that actually do like the emotional and physical work of getting policies to change but then that's also invisible work to the greater populace because once something's yeah. fixed you don't notice that it's wrong there's also and if it's not affecting you to begin with you don't know that it's wrong either there's also a lot of like invisible emotional labor yeah where they're also having to call out other environmentalists on their privileges and their mistakes yeah and then having to be bombarded both by the unaware environmentalists as well as the environmental deniers climate change deniers yeah now or just like corporations that want to take advantage of the situation or are, are yeah. already taking advantage of the environment in that area and I think want to squash those voices because it means that they make more money. I think there's a strong argument that every corporation benefits from 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 destroying the environment. Yeah, I would just I think that it's just like a matter of like which ones have like which ones have factories in this county. Yeah. You know. But since there is so much like financial and monetary power fighting against environmentalism, that's the biggest front that there is yeah. to fight capitalism yeah rears its ugly head and i'd say a big difference between the stewards and the anarcho-primitivists is that a lot of the anarcho-primitivists are people that come from privileged backgrounds mm -hmm. so there's almost this like this like hazy like golden hour light uh dreamscape that they think the, the the world can accomplish and like yeah. what environmentalism is and if if all else fails they're okay because they're they're seated in in comfort they can just go home to like yeah. the society they grew up in and be fine so so they don't necessarily have that that same drive and that that same pursuit as as the stewards do yeah. who who aren't necessarily in this t for some weird gauche dream that they have but because it's what's necessary and it's 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 what's evident yeah i think that there's this really strange kind of phenomenon that i do not understand that spans more like categories than just environmentalists but it's especially relevant to the anarcho-primitivists versus the stewards tropes mm. of rich people or people who come from privilege pretending like they are poor 
and yeah. it makes no sense at all to me like think about how think about any fashion trend that has anything to do with grunge mm-hmm. is just rich people it's like fetishization of poverty yeah it's crazy i don't understand it i feel like that's something that i'd love to unpack at some point but it's not um, not now oh, or maybe <laughs> even on this podcast yeah i don't know just like in my personal like yeah for my brain i think that's something that i don't get and i hate when i see it and so it's like what is what is even happening there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well i think that's all seven of the of the tropes so i guess which one do you think you fit into or which of which couple do you think or is fits there you? do you don't do you think that you're an environmentalist and you don't fit into any of them yeah in which case comment and let us know what you think your trope would be or what tropes you've noticed in the environmentalist world yeah i think it's interesting because i think that a lot of people who care about the environment go through phases in their life where they end up falling into different categories certainly which is kind of interesting you kind of like evolve in and out of tropes or you just kind of embody different parts of many of them yeah i feel like throughout anyone's journey with environmentalism and and fighting climate change you're you're definitely going to find yourself in ticking one or two of these boxes at different points yeah and that's not necessarily a bad thing like we said this is kind of a venn diagram of yeah of i mean this life. is this is just the stereotypes and the tropes i've i've noticed out in your out in the experience. wild <laughs> yeah in your field work exactly it's it's almost like a small like mini anthropology experiment just looking at the different types of environmentalists in the u.s yeah well thank you everyone for listening uh this has been episode one and we recorded it pretty late so we've both been kind of sleepy through this i hope it wasn't too unbearable but we'll see you all next week